You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, this hour of the program coming at you down the Doug Lee, from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. From our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit them at dlbasementsystems.com. Hour one in the books already. Taking a look at last night's 5-2 win for the Calgary Flames over the Vancouver Canucks. A little bit of a Grey Cup preview with our pal Justin Dunk from 3 Down Nation. Miss any of it, check us out on the podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. This hour, kicking it off with more football talk. This time south of the border. Thursday night football last night, the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. But almost nobody talking about the result last night on the field. It's all off the field consequences with two major injuries. We'll dive into that and take a look at the Sunday slate of games coming up for week 11 uh, as we welcome into the program our pal from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto and co-host of the fan checkdown show on the Sportsnet radio network. It's Matt Marchese this Friday. Matty, how are you, pal? I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, I am probably better than the Baltimore Ravens or the Cincinnati Bengals are feeling today. Uh, that is a rough outcome. I, I know you and Donovan got into it a bit, but man, to lose Mark Andrews for the Ravens and Joe Burrow for the Bengals, uh, I'm not sure it gets much worse for either one of those teams. So I'm driving home, um, and I, I I don't check my phone while I'm driving because that's, that's not a good thing to do. But I happened to be stopped. I had to go get gas, and I looked at my phone, and I went, hold on a second. I thought that this group message text that I got was a joke for one of the guys in my fantasy leagues that has Joe Burrow. Sure. I thought it was a fake tweet from Adam Schefter when I saw it. And then I looked into it, and I went, oh, boy, this is real. And now, see, this is what sucks, is you never want to wish injury upon anyone but when you get when a star goes out, like Joe Burrow is one of the best football players in the game when he's healthy. We know that. To see him go out on kind of a freak thing, like we don't we don't really know where he even got hurt, um, or you know if this was something that was lingering before and just re-injured it and it got worse. Well, that's negligence on behalf of the Bengals. But it just sucks. Like that's that's the only word that I can describe it. I like watching Mark Andrews play football. I like watching Joe Burrow play football. And now the fact that we don't get to see them the rest of the year. And on the flip side of that, those teams that counted on those guys to be stars for them, obviously Joe Burrow in a more important position. Man, that really sucks for those teams too. Let's talk about the Joe Burrow side of it all because there's been a lot made of a post that the Bengals had of some of the players coming into the stadium for Thursday night football. And it appears that Joe Burrow has something on his wrist, um, whether you want to call it a, a temporary cast or a, uh, a compression sleeve, there's something on his, his throwing hand heading into the game. He was not mentioned in any of the injury reports heading into to Thursday's game. And clearly either something like to your point, either something got worse during the game or there was something during the week that Cincinnati didn't feel necessary to divulge in their injury report either way this isn't a good look for the Bengals when it comes to treatment of your 
your star player. And I, I get it, Maddie. Every player wants to go out there and play. They're, they're not going to use injuries as an excuse, but like your throwing hand on your wrist is not a small injury and it's not a it's not an injury that you can simply dismiss if you're the Cincinnati Bengals leading up to this game no and here's the other thing if we're talking long term here they invested a lot of money in Joe Burrow with guaranteed money with the whole contract all of that this guy is the highest paid player in the NFL on a per season basis on average and that will eventually change, but the point stands is this. You have made a, you know, 200 and whatever it is, $74 million investment into Joe Burrow, and you need to do your best to make sure that he's healthy. Here's the, here's the worst part about all of this, is that this is the second time that I feel that the, Cleveland, the, the Cincinnati Bengals, I said Cleveland Browns because usually you expect this from them, but the Cincinnati Bengals have been negligent with their star quarterback. You and I both know, watching Joe Burrow play those first three games of the season, that Joe Burrow should have been nowhere near a football field. Shouldn't have been playing, shouldn't have been practicing, none of that. And he played. And if you are the team doctors, if you're the general manager, if you're the coach, you've got to look at yourself and go, is, are we doing this in not only the best interest of the team, but the best interest of the player that we've invested all this money into? And now they're dealing with this. And if it comes out that Joe Burrow had a wrist issue before this and he re-injured it while not being on the injury report, oh boy, I can just imagine Bengal Twitter is not going to be super pleased about that. And generally speaking, the NFL will not be pleased about that either because, as we know, there's the gambling aspect, the fantasy aspect, all of that encompassing with this this injury and not divulging the information. It's a really bad look for the Bengals. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about it, but, I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past. I, I actually wouldn't have a problem at all if, if that's what happens, that they didn't divulge an injury to him if the NFL decided to go down the draft pick route because – not only, you're right, are you doing wrong by your team, you're doing wrong by the player, but, I mean, now you just look silly at 5-5 five and five heading into, you know, the, the last half of this season, Maddie, without your star quarterback because you've, you put it all on, on this one Thursday night game and you really don't have a choice in that division now. You're, you're going to be so far away with, and look, I mean, maybe Jake Browning's better than I expect, but uh, this just seems to be a, a really short-sighted decision you're right especially given the investment in young quarterbacks and Joe Burrow's had some significant injuries in just three NFL seasons he has and like their season's done there's there's no sugarcoating this I don't care how good Jake Browning is he's not Joe Burrow and that team thrives on Joe Burrow being great the defense can play as well as they want it's not going to be the same like their defense was very bend-don't-break early in the season, but Joe Burrow was still the quarterback. There was still some semblance of, okay, we've got a shot here. They don't have a shot now. Like, there, there's no hope that this team is going to make the playoffs now in what, at this point, was a division that, if you had won that game against the Ravens, you had at least a chance to win the division. The Steelers, we don't think are very good. They somehow managed to win games probably because Mike Tomlin's the best coach in the NFL. I'll double down on that one. And the Browns don't have a quarterback anymore. 
So it was wide open, and everybody else in the AFC that you thought was going to be good, you know, the Bills, they bungled everything. You know, the, the Dolphins have been good, but they haven't beaten good teams, and the Jets don't have a quarterback. And, you know, we can go down the list. Uh, the Chiefs have been good, but are they really that good? The rest of the AFC West is a, is a bit of a disaster. There was an opportunity here for the Bengals even after the slow start. Now you look at it and go, you're done. So And you're past the trade deadline, so you can't even trade assets away to try and recoup things. Like They're kind of going to be in the murky middle here with whatever punishment might be looming over them. I assume that the punishment is a fine, probably you know $75,000 to the team, $25,000 to the coach, because that precedent is already there. But aside from that, like this is just going to be a, a, the rest of the season of Bengals fans not wanting to watch their football team play. Uh, Bravens on the other side, 34-20 winners last night. They moved to 8-3, and three, uh, first in that division. What did you make of Baltimore? What are your thoughts on this team as a whole uh, 11 games into the season? Well, the loss of Mark Andrews is going to loom huge, right? It, it's a big loss. He's you know one of the best tight ends in football. And when you have a player that is uh, you know that good at that position, that's a premium. And they don't have that anymore. And that's going to make Lamar Jackson's job a lot harder. You know, all the talk we had about Lamar Jackson for MVP, if he manages to stay at an MVP clip, then this team's going to go very far. But I think that's going to be a lot harder now with Mark Andrews on the lineup. You know, you're going to put a lot more on a guy like Zay Flowers and, and Odell Beckham with whatever injury he's dealing with now. Rashad Bateman's got to step up. Isaiah Likely, maybe... You know, Charlie Kolar, the the tight end as well. Like, they're going to have some work to do. Here's the one thing that they do really well. They run the ball really well. And we saw that yesterday with Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson and Keaton Mitchell. Like, they can can move the ball on the ground. That's at least a benefit that they have. But when you get into the playoffs against some of these defenses, you're going to have to throw the football. And that's going to be, you know, if Lamar Jackson was ever going to lead his team and win an MVP again, it was going to be this year now, especially with, the injury to Mark Andrews, I still think that the Ravens have what it takes to get to a Super Bowl, even without Mark Andrews, because they've got some pieces. But I look at this situation and I say, like, now the AFC is kind of up for grabs in terms of playoff spots. Like, if the Ravens went and lost five games the rest of the year because they can't throw the ball, I don't think anybody would be surprised. I mean, I haven't really looked at the schedule, but I'm pretty sure it's not easy. So, I don't think we learned much about the Ravens despite them scoring 34 points yesterday. And, you know, Gus Edwards runs in touchdowns 9 and 10, and he's tied with Christian McCaffrey. So I, I don't think that we learned a lot about the Ravens, but I think we're going to learn a lot about the Ravens going forward. And if they can sustain this run of success, because Mark Andrews is a big piece, and to not have him, a lot of pressure on some of the other guys. Any chance in your mind that opens the door for a Pittsburgh or a Cleveland who play each other on Sunday to make a, a bit more of a run in that division? I mean, both of them are sitting pretty well at six and three. And I mean, depending on who you ask, Cleveland might be in, in better shape knowing that they don't have Deshaun Watson for the rest of the season based on how his year was going. That's it's it's just an interesting, you know, I mean, Cincinnati, we're talking about five and five. These teams are at six and three. I don't know that the Ravens are catchable in my mind, but it certainly, I think, opens the playoff picture in the AFC for one or if not both of these teams, Maddie. You know, it's funny. You asked me that question, and in my head I was like, well, I, I'm going to say no, they don't have a chance. But, of course, 
you know, this has been the wild west of football, so anything can happen. Um, if I had to pick a team, it would probably be the, the Pittsburgh Steelers that at this point would have the best chance to win. Here's why. I don't trust, as good as the, as the Browns' defense is, I don't trust Dorian Thompson-Robinson as of right now. And that's saying a lot because I don't really trust Kenny Pickett either, but I trust Mike Tomlin as the head coach. And I look at the pieces around. Yes, the defense in Cleveland is better, but I don't think the defense in Pittsburgh is all that bad. I think it's pretty good. And when you look at, you know, the weapons that Kenny Pickett has with George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, and they're going to get Pat Fryermuth back, I don't think it's, it's bad. I also think that, you know, the Browns' defense, while it's being good, if they're on the field all the time because the offense can't sustain drives, they're going to get worse. That's just the, that's just what happens in the game of football. You can have an elite defense all you want, but if you're on the field all day in the first half, the second half rolls around, you're going to be tired. The game becomes more difficult. So that's why I think as bad as Pittsburgh's offense has been, I think they'll be able to sustain drives better with Kenny Pickett as the quarterback rather than Dorian Thompson-Robinson. So we'll see what happens. But if I had to pick a team that was going to dethrone the Ravens right now, it would probably be the Steelers and the Browns. How do you look at the Sunday slate of games coming up uh, for Week 11 here, Matty? There's a lot of big numbers on the board. Uh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland uh, has the Browns favored by uh, a point and a half. It's a point difference between the Seahawks and the Rams. Two and a half for the Broncos and the Vikings. Everything else... Uh, I guess Chargers Packers is is three point favorite for the Chargers. Everything else, like close to a touchdown or more. I, I don't really know what game stands out on this week eleven slate, at least for Sunday. Well, I'm going to be biased here, Logo. Um, I'm going to go with the Bills and the Jets. Okay. The reason is is that I believe that this is the season for either of these teams. The Bills have a really tough schedule going forward. The Jets are going to have to play Miami in a couple of weeks. And so, like, it feels like the only route to success, although now with the injury to Joe Burrow, maybe it's changed, but it feels like if there was going to be a path to success and a path to the playoffs, it was going to have to be through the division for both of these teams. The Bills are obviously a massive disappointment. I think we can both agree on that. But they're also in a position that they've lost all five of their games by six or less points. You can say that they've lost against bad opponents. I don't disagree with that. But the fact that they've been in games means they are kind of close. They're seven-point favorites in this game, and I don't see that as a number that I would be any close to touching because if we're being honest, the Bills struggle in Josh Allen's tenure against the Jets at home. Josh Allen is actually better against the Jets on the road, believe it or not, statistically. So – We'll see what happens with Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator now taking over from Ken Dorsey, who was fired this week. We'll see what – Josh Allen has got to prove something here. He's got to stop turning the ball over because, you know, like I said on, on my show on Tuesday, I'm so sick and tired of hearing the conversation of, well, you know, we got to do a better job of not turning the ball over and we got to play better football. Enough talking about it. Just do it. You get paid to be an elite quarterback, then be an elite quarterback. Because we can say that, you know, for all the offensive metrics and how well the Bills have been doing, they haven't been able to finish drives. And a lot of that is on the quarterback and less on the offensive coordinator. This is a big one for Josh Allen. And for a guy that is, generally speaking, bounced back after bad losses, 
we'll see what they do because that loss last week, well, I guess earlier this week, against the, the Broncos was horrible. But if you go out and you lose to the New York Jets for a second time this year, I'm telling you there's going to be riots in Orchard Park, New York. And I guess on the opposite side of that, if you're the Jets, you're just trying to tread water until a, a miraculous comeback for Aaron Rodgers. Is that kind of how you see their side of this? Well, I, I, I asked Donovan this question today, and I'm, and I'm curious about what happened. Like, if Zach Wilson hasn't, like Donovan said, they're just trying to hand the ball off to Aaron Rodgers come December. If he's coming back, that's fine. But the other thing is, too, is if you're the Jets, you believe that you can make the playoffs here, how much you give Zach Wilson? Like, if he gets blitzed out of the building on Sunday against the Bills, do they not have to go to Trevor Simeon at this point? Zach Wilson statistically has been one of the worst quarterbacks in the league to this point. So I don't know. And Robert Sala had a conversation with Michael Kay on New York Radio, and Michael Kay basically called him out about saying, like, you know, you keep talking about how you have Zach Wilson's back. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. You have a veteran like Trevor Simeon in the building. Like, why are you not going to to Trevor Simeon at this point? And Robert Sala basically said, you got me there. I don't have an answer for you. So I don't know how much longer they can keep throwing out Zach Wilson, but I can't imagine if they lose to the Bills that it's going to be for much longer. Yeah, I, the whole Jets thing to me is if – and as far as the the conversation goes about Zach Wilson, I mean, I, I don't know. He like you mentioned, he's been awful. I think he's thrown five touchdown passes all year long. The, I the only thing I can think of is that somehow Trevor Simeon has been worse at practice somehow than Zach Wilson. And I mean, maybe at this point, if you're Robert Sala, you're just saying, look, this kid was supposed to be a a high draft pick that comes into the organization and be the next face of the franchise I'm just gonna ride with him because I, I, I don't know what else to say about this one I think pretty much any other head coach would have gone at least some other direction by now but the Jets just seem content to roll on with this kid well you know logo we're all the smartest people in the room until we get fired right so you Very can true. be the smartest guy in the room and then one day you're not the smartest guy in the room and for Robert Sala listen they did him no favors in he, – he had no quarterback help last year. You know, as the coach of the Jets, he had to deal with a, a horrible Zach Wilson, an old Joe Flacco, and who the heck is Mike White? That's what he had to deal with last year. So that's part of the equation. Now, the other part of this equation here is what else do they do? Like, is this on Robert Sala? He's not putting they, – they went out and they got Aaron Rodgers. They don't have him anymore. So, so now what do you do? So I think that's all part of this conversation here. And, yes, yes, Zach Wilson was, you know, drafted with a high pick, and there were lots of expectations. But sometimes those guys just don't pan out. And if you're the Jets and, you know, you've invested a lot into this season, maybe you need to pull the plug on Zach Wilson sooner rather than later because Aaron Rodgers coming back in December may not matter if you can't be in the mix by the time he comes back. Uh, before we talk about the outstanding, or at least on paper outstanding, Monday night football game, I'd want to get your thoughts on the Sunday nighter. Uh, the Josh Dobbs story might be one of the best in football right now. He's got the Vikings at 6-4. and four. They've got a matchup in Denver to, kick, to end off the Sunday night slate. Do you believe in the Josh Dobbs story, Justin Jefferson getting closer? I know we've talked about him a couple times on these hits, but 
I'm just curious how long this can last because, I mean, this guy's been on four different teams. He was a Brown to begin the season and could have easily been the guy filling in for Deshaun Watson right now. But here he is in Minnesota looking like uh, the savior to their season. I believe in the past or not. I believe that Josh Dobbs <laughs> is a good NFL quarterback. He's proving it, and he's proven it with, you know, not great weapons. Like, even his time in Tennessee at the end of last year, off the street, no idea what the playbook looks like, and he has success. Um, he at least keeps the team in game. Then we get to this year, and he goes to the Cardinals, and he keeps them in games and keeps them relevant. Now, it's like he's found a new lease on life. He gets to go to the Vikings, who have T.J. Hawkinson and, and Jordan Addison and eventually Justin Jefferson. You know, I, I, was, I was talking about this with Donovan on the show today. After week five, both of these teams were one and four. The Broncos had already gotten killed by the Dolphins. They had just lost the Hackett Bowl against the Jets, the Jets who we just you know talked a lot of smack about. And now they find themselves in the conversation for the playoffs coming off of back-to-back wins against the Chiefs and the Bills. The Vikings were 1-4 and four as well after Week 5. They had just gotten jobbed by the officials against the Chiefs and lost that game against Kansas City. Now, we, if you had looked at this matchup three weeks ago, you would have said, oh, my God, do I really need to watch Broncos and Vikings? Now you have to watch it. Now you go, this is actually has the potential of being a great matchup, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Although, it's a primetime matchup, so it's going to hit the under. We can almost guarantee that. Yeah, it sure feels that way. That uh, feels like one of the guarantees in life. So, uh, he's Matt Marchese, host of the Fan Checkdown Show on the Sportsnet and Radio Network. Hear him every Monday to Friday here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan, we're taking a look at the Sunday slate of games uh, on week 11 of the NFL season. Uh, the Monday Nighter is just sitting there teasing us, Maddie. Uh, Eagles and Chiefs from KC. Jalen Hurts v. Patrick Mahomes, the Battle of the Kelsey Brothers, the meeting of Travis's parents and Taylor's parents. There's, there's storylines abound for Monday. What's the main storyline that you're going to be interested in when the Eagles and the Chiefs meet on Monday night? It's the kind of strength versus strength matchup, and that is, you know, the Eagles' offense against the Chiefs' defense because – I mean, you could look at it the other way and say, well, how will the Chiefs' offense fare against the Eagles' defense? Because, let's face it, those aren't the two strengths of the team right now, which is funny because last year it was the opposite. The defense for the Eagles was their bigger strength. The offense was very good, but the defense was the difference maker. And for the Chiefs last year, the offense was the difference maker. And now it's like we're, we're in bizarro world where everything is switched. And so I'm looking forward to that matchup. I'm also looking forward to, like, if Travis Kelsey has a big game, and he might not only because Taylor Swift is there, but her parents are there, and, you know, the Eagles are missing linebacker N'Kobe Dean. If he has another big game with Taylor Swift in the building, the Chiefs have to have her at every game, right? Because we've seen the split. It's not very good when, tra- when Taylor Swift is not there. So um, it's going to be a really interesting matchup. It's one that, honestly, I don't necessarily expect to be super high scoring because I think both defenses are going to show up. But what it's going to tell us is, I don't. It, it's 
are the Eagles as good as their 8-1 and one record would suggest? Because they've had some stinker games that they've won. And now they're going to go up against a really good defense, and we're going to see what they can do. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing about this is, are we going to learn if the Eagles' record at 8-1 and one is very good? Or are we going to learn that the Eagles maybe have a little bit of work to do down the stretch here? Because their schedule gets a lot tougher going forward as well. Uh, is there still a belief in your mind that this could be uh, a potential Super Bowl preview again? Oh, man, I, I mean, I guess it's because ev- it's because everybody else is kind of just muffing the punt, right? Yeah. Like nobody else wa- seems to want it bad enough. And these two teams, we look at it and say they're the best in each conference right now. So I'd have to say, as unlikely as it is to see the two same teams in back-to-back Super Bowls. I'd have to imagine that right now they're the favorites to get there because, you know, San Francisco's had their, their run of, of bad games and, and maybe they look back after the, the win against the Jaguars. And then it's like the Ravens in the AFC look like a team that was going to take a step. Now they lose Mark Andrews and we'll see about Lamar Jackson's ankle and the Lions look great at one point and maybe they're not as great as we thought and the Bills, you know, like so – we haven't had the same types of questions about the Chiefs and the Eagles. So I would say, you know, if I was playing a numbers game, probability, no. But the way the teams are playing, I'd say probably yes. Yeah, I'm always down for a new matchup when it comes to the Super Bowl. But as of right now, it kind of feels like until somebody wants to prove either of these teams wrong, it kind of feels like their spot to lose. But lots of season left. Uh, We'll have lots of these conversations still to come. Matty, enjoy the weekend. Good luck to your Bills against the Jets, pal. Uh, We'll chat with you again next week. Thanks, man. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Matt Marchese joining us on the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline for our regular checkup on the NFL uh, with him, of course, host of the Fan Checkdown with Donovan Bennett, co-host and producer of the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network as well. Uh, Thanks to Matty for joining us. Uh, Yes, Thursday night football last night. 34-20, 34-20, the Ravens picking up a win against the Bengals. But Cincinnati loses Joe Burrow for the rest of the season with a wrist injury. And the Ravens will be without tight end Mark Andrews, who suffered ligament damage to his ankle. So uh, disappointing outcome for both teams, despite Baltimore uh, picking up a win. Lots of good games coming up on the Sunday slate. Uh, the 11 o'clock starts here in Calgary. Include the Packers hosting the Chargers. You've got the Raiders and the Dolphins. Titans, Jaguars, uh, amongst others. Your Sunday nighter, Vikings, Broncos, Monday night, Eagles in Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. We'll flash it over back to hockey next. Jason Bukula, former NHL scout, now working with Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Had a couple great articles up on the website, including uh, a look at Calgary's most impactful trade pieces going forward and perhaps some of the value that they might have across the league, plus uh, future considerations looking at some of the top NHL draft prospects with Jason and Sam Cosentino. We'll dive into that with Jason Bukula next here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, closing out the hour here on Sportsnet today. Flames off. They're on the practice sites at the Scotiabank Saddledome following their 5-2 win against the Vancouver Canucks on Thursday night. They're getting set to host the New York Islanders Saturday for Hockey Night in Canada and the finale of this quick two-game homestand for the Flames. After Saturday's game, they'll hit the road for four straight. They've won two in a row, trying to slowly dig themselves out of what's been a tough start to the season. 
not only on the ice, but off the ice. Lots of conversations about this team, whether it's been agents and making public trade requests or rumors about guys who may or may not want to be here with the team long term. Uh, this Flames team has a lot on their plate. And right now they're still trying to figure out exactly what this group is when it comes to a nightly basis on the ice. We'll see what comes on Saturday. Five o'clock start means Pat Steinberg's got your Flames warm up at four o'clock. Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson have the call of the Flames in the aisles right here on Sportsnet 960 at five o'clock. But right now we're going to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in our pal from Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca. Former NHL scout Jason Buchel is going to join us. Got a couple of great pieces up at Sportsnet.ca, including uh, scouts analysis, a look at Calgary's trade pieces and the value that they have. Uh, great time to bring Jason into the program. Jason, happy Friday, man. How are you? Hey, great, Logan. How's it going, pal? Uh, we're doing good, man. We're uh, having a good time. It always feels good in town to get a win over a, a division rival, especially one that's been going as good as the Vancouver Canucks have. So I think it's a, a good Friday here in Calgary. Yeah, I thought they played, you know, arguably their most complete game last night, to be honest with you. I know Vancouver was coming in on back-to-backs, but uh, a lot of positives to take out of that game last night. And as you know, and probably everybody in Calgary, our listeners know this, this is one of the most perplexing rosters, most perplexing teams in, in maybe the entire league. And, you know, that's how I identify them. And it's uh, it's good to see some good things last night, but uh you know, I just uh, I'm trying not to get too high or too low. I'm trying to um, I'm trying to be realistic and uh, and take a long long view of things here. Yeah, and it's I think it's a totally fair way to approach it. And, and I kind of liked how you put it on your article, looking at some of these flames pending UFAs, Jason. Because uh, you know we have the same issues here in Calgary. Last night was great, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to take anything away from the team last night, but it feels like a bit of a tease because you know the team can have games like last night. But where was that the first month and a bit of the season? How has it taken them this long to figure it out? And and we know getting in those early season holes can be a detriment for any team looking to make the playoffs. Yeah, no question. I mean, when you get off to the start that they get off to, the, you literally have to run the table at about a 7.30 clip, somewhere around there, maybe a little bit less depending on, you know, scenarios. But, you know, I, I really – a really high percentage of points being banked from, you know, game 10 to game 82, really, don't you? And, and it's, it's a difficult, difficult ask. I mean, this is a nice run They're for one and one, I think in their last six, if I'm not mistaken, yes, and, you know, things have, uh, things have kind of come together a little bit over, over this little stretch. Um, but We've seen this before, and um, you know I'm, I I need to do another segment on. The, I need to see a segment here out of them that's going to last uh, a good ten to twelve games where I can get more of a feel. I mean, the positive is that you know you wake up this morning, you feel good, and they should because they played very well last night. And some of the teams in front of them, I'm expecting them to drop off, like you know the Anaheim's, the Arizona, St. Louis is is an average team for me right now. You know Seattle is unpredictable, so these are teams that, you know, you get to hop over some of these teams to get into a wild card position. And I actually think that's doable. And then you look in the rear view mirror and you got Edmonton on the, uh, on the come see, obviously. So that's going to be kind of what you're staring at. And, but, but does that really get us Logan, where we want to go in the long view? And, and, you know, as an organization over the next several years with a new arena on the horizon and, 
um, you know, the unpredictability of this group uh, on a, you know, weekly basis, let's just be fair. Um, you know, you, you really have to take the long view and start planning for the future. Um, and that, that might have to start sooner than later still in my eyes. Yeah. And it's, I've tried to spin it as a bit of a unique opportunity because not often do you have this many high profile guys on any team coming up uh, at UFA status at the same time as Calgary does. So perhaps it is a unique opportunity that if this season doesn't go the way that maybe they had hoped the reset button and the path to going down a bit of a retool or whatever words you want to use for it, Jason, maybe that is uniquely positioned for the Calgary Flames to access maybe more so than some teams after a disappointing season? Well, I think that the retool is, uh, would be, it wouldn't be a long, long rebuild. That's for sure. I mean, you know, you take a look at their draft capital and what they have going for them. You know, they've got, um, well, their first round pick in, in 24, it's got so many different, uh, um, kind of uh, moving parts on that pick, but like, I can't even list it. It's like 10 lines long. I won't bore our (laughs) listeners with it, but they might have a first round pick uh, that they own. That's kind of their own for 2024, but then they got their second, third and fourth. So let's just talk the high end part of the draft. So in a worst case scenario, worst case scenario, they decide they want to reset. Well, you start going through the roster of the guys that they can farm out in trade. And I mean, these guys are going to bring enormous return and, um, you know, it's interesting when I, when I try and put it in perspective for everybody, everybody's take is different in the uh, hockey fan universe. And I totally get it. It's, it's fun for me to be involved in it. But here's the reality. These guys are going to be bringing back, I'm talking like multiple first round picks over a period of short term or long term. If you start moving them out, the Hannafins, the Zadorovs, the Tanyevs. I mean, if you look at uh, Josh Manson, when he got traded to the Anaheim Ducks, I mean, they that that right there brought back Drew Helson, who was a first round pick and, and a second round pick. Um, you're going to be looking at, you know, if Hannafin were to go out today, <laughs> like at least a first and a, and a high end prospect, maybe a first and a second. And that's just starting with Hannafin. You get into Zadorov and you get into you're going to be looking at stocking the cupboards very, very quickly and being able to kind of retool on the fly and, and really add either you can reinvest those picks in, in currency, you don't want to like bring back a roster player in the summertime or something like that, or yeah. you just go out and draft high end guys and, and you're off and running again. On this article you, you have up at sportsnet.ca, Jason, looking at some of these, these flames pending UFAs, whose value was hardest for you to assess when you look out at the NHL market and, and what the flames might be able to get in return if they go down that road? I have to be honest, the, the guy that kind of perplexes me a little bit uh, outside of last night, it's been Lindholm. I've been, I've been struggling. I think that he's got immense value. That's my gut. My gut tells me that. I still think that he's able to produce at, you know, a high level and do a lot of different things. You know, he's 28. He can play quick. Um, you know, he's, he's not really – he's a bumper. He's not really a physical guy. But, you know, he pushes the pace in transition. There's so many good things about Lindholm's game. But – I feel like he's not really a one. I feel like he's a two. And so what's that return on investment going to be out, out there in, in the league? Because you're going to be, uh, who's a contending team that we, let's just say Toronto for just something crazy. Okay. Sure. I'm just yep. using it as an example. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not poking the bear here. 100%. But I'm just saying, imagine the Toronto Maple Leafs were to, to uh, pick him up and you want to move like a guy to Tavares to the wing and Lindholm in the second hole. That's a better fit for him than playing on, on as a one on a contending team. 
his value though, I don't know what everybody else sees it to be because his start was so, you know, off, um, you know, similarly to Gaudreau. That's, that's another story in, in Columbus who's just been like awful. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Hannafin for me, long-term is the most viable piece by far. He's a two-way D, skates very well. He's got size. He's played a ton of games already. Um, you know, what he did last night, that little give and go up top, uh, they caught the Canucks in a kind of a long shift. But those are the types of things that he can do with his legs, right? Take a puck to the net. And that's a bonus because down low in his zone, he can also jump the space to kill plays. So Hannafin's the most valuable guy for uh, long run. And the other guys just kind of fit in certain categories. How about Nikita Zadorov? We, we've talked a lot the last week about it, and uh, I'm sure that's how Dan Milstein uh, intended the trade request uh, publicly happening in Toronto to go. And uh, it created a lot of buzz in Toronto, of course, because we know Brad Living was instrumental, if not the key guy that brought Nikita Zadorov to Calgary. And uh, clearly that Toronto decor could use an infusion like a guy of, of Nikita Zadorov's talent. But there's also been a big pull from west of Calgary, too, that the Vancouver Canucks are somebody that would covet a, a Nikita Zadorov if he was made available uh, and you know, the Flames were willing to fill out this trade request. How do you see Zadorov's value as a guy that's, you know, never really been a top-end guy but certainly has something to add to maybe a, a deeper decor for a contending team? Nikita Zadorov fits exactly how I describe the, the Calgary Flames, and that's polarizing. This guy is an absolute huge human being. We know what he is. He's going to be potentially skating for, I believe it's his fifth team now. Is that fifth or sixth yep. team? In tra- fifth team if, when he gets traded here, if he gets traded here. Um, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, uh, these, these teams are looking for, you know, that that size and uh, they, they're looking for, call it a shutdown type of presence, a physical presence for sure. I mean, Zidore after the last two years, you know, when he played with Gutty in Calgary two years ago, he had 181 hits. And that was a, I really liked that pairing, Logan, you know, a couple of years ago when like, you could really identify with that pairing, couldn't you? Gutty on the right, Zadorov on the left. You knew these were big, big horses that were going to shut down plays. Um, that's what they're looking for, these other teams in Zadorov, if they bring him in. But listen, he's a two-way D more than he's a shutdown D. He scored 14 goals last year. Yep. And he starts rushing pucks and making some plays offensively. So, um He's a he's a perplexing guy. He's outspoken. His agent, uh, full full disclosure, and you know I've known Dan for several years. I like Dan. Um, he's always transparent with me, and I really appreciate that in agents, especially. Um, but I didn't like it. Like I, you know, uh, there's been there's been times in the last couple of weeks where Nikita has called out the team for not playing at a high level, but then he's the guy um, that's that's looking to leave, and and I don't like that in in sports or anywhere, to be honest with you. And, it's a tough pill to swallow in the room, especially now if they start to play better. But the good news is the Flames don't have to do it tomorrow. Like, you know, if they get on a run here, um, they, they control the player. So he's just got to play at a high level no matter what. Um, but his teammates, that must have been a tough moment. Yeah, they've had to have some internal conversations. And look, Nikita's been outspoken this year, too, about uh, guys and, you know, maybe having too much of an individualistic mindset at times and not buying into the team game and then, uh, that sort of things happen uh, from your agent. And uh, I, I don't think for a second Nikita hid from it from his teammates. He's just not that kind of guy, Jason. But you're right. It, it, it created a rift. It's one that Ryan Huskas had to address. It's one that new captain Michael Backlund's had to address. And, you know, you've got so much going on during a, a season of, 
of turmoil already for the Calgary Flames. It's it is another layer that these guys have to deal with. And from a, a player agent relationship, you you got to wonder sometimes weighing the benefits and the cost of doing something like that, right? Hundred percent. And I mean, here's the thing: there's 16 games in, so. You know, let's just assume that there's 20 games left after the trade deadline. Just for an example, I don't have the calendar in front of me, but just as an example. So, so let's call it 36. You know, if you add those, if you add that window together, we're looking at 36. So really the next 15 games, I would suggest to you at the very most, maybe 20. um, It's really going to be telling, uh, uh, you know, about how we want to project what's going to happen here with our plan. And, you know, a guy like Zadorov, uh, if somebody like if you look at Toronto, there's obviously noise out of Toronto. They would like to acquire the player. Well, you know, uh, Klingberg's looking um, fragile at best when he does play, but now he's injured. Okay, so if he were ever to go on LT, that opens up the money to acquire a, a player like Zadora. But here's the thing, Calgary. Uh, they're looking for the type of assets and return that are going to assist them going forward. And when you start trading with teams like, um, you know, Toronto, who don't have a lot of draft capital and, and their cupboards are relatively bare on the prospect side, you know, the fit may, may sooner than later uh, look like it fits for money, but asset management, it might not be a great fit. So that might eliminate them out of the equation for the short term. And so then you start planning it out. How many other, how many other teams? But my point is, Every day, it's an every other day league, right? You're generally playing every other day. It's like another week, another day. Are we a playoff team? Aren't we a playoff team? Does this guy want to? What are we gonna? How are we gonna uh, manage these assets? Wow! Like you talk about Craig Conroy having his plate absolutely full. Like it's <laughs> this is this is an incredible. Uh, it's 16 games, and I feel like we've already played uh, you know 66 games the way that we keep talking. It does feel like that uh, for a rookie GM that, that Craig certainly got his hands full uh, over the next couple months figuring his way through this whole thing. Uh, there's one more guy I wanted to ask you about quickly. I do want to have uh, enough on the plate for people to go and check out the article at sportsnet.ca for themselves. But I have to imagine from a former scouts perspective, Jason, like a, a guy like Chris Tanev come the trade deadline for a contending team looking to bolster their defense for a Stanley cup playoff run. Like, would that guy not have GM salivating on the phone trying to get a hold of Craig Conroy to get that guy for a playoff run? You just took the words right out of my mouth. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Like, you know, you don't need offense from him. The guy's a warrior. He'll block a shot with his, you know, with his forehead if it's required. I mean, even last night, he takes a, it looks like, I think maybe something in the hand at least. And, and did he practice today, Logan? I didn't notice like any, do you know what it did? Tanya practice today? He sure did. Okay, so that says something, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, 5-2 win last night. You know that he got nicked up. He's right back out there. That says everything you got to know about this guy. Um, I love him. I'd love to have him on my team if I was going on a run in playoffs. Somebody's going to overpay for him. On the surface, it's going to look like an overpayment, but uh, nothing matters more than winning in playoffs, and he'd be a huge piece to the back end of a contending team. Jason Buchel is along with us this afternoon. Sportsnet, sportsnet.ca former NHL scout joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline uh, away from uh, the NHL right now as we, uh, even in Calgary, have, of course, started to, it's a bad start to the year, Jason. Some have started to peak towards uh, what the draft class, upcoming draft class might look like when it comes to NHL draft prospects. And you and Sam Cosentino are always so great, uh, giving people the the yearly updates as we get closer to the draft. And uh, Sam dropped his November rankings and, 
you kind of filled in scouting on some of those top prospects, and you went through the top 10 for Sammy. What uh, overall, as you kind of look at this draft class that we're getting set for here in 2024, what kind of strikes you as the, I guess, the overall sense of this group? Is it a high-end group? Is it a, a deeper group that we're looking at? What's kind of the sense you get from, at least early on, uh, looking ahead to this draft class? So Macklin Celebrini should go wire to wire. I don't think that there's going to be any doubt in that. Um, where I'm going to start to get, I have no bias, okay? I have no skin in the game. I'm going to tell you this, that, that uh, outside of Celebrini, it's going to be pretty wide open after that. Cole Eisman at number two is a shoot first type of guy. Like he's always the guy that, you know, he's got the beaver tail going in the offensive zone. You know, the guy yeah. looking for the puck tapping. I want it, I want it, I want it. And he's <laughs> ripping pucks on goal. Um, my issue with him, though, Logan, is that I've really noticed uh, since the start of the year, um, the rest of his game has, has, has not been his, his overall approach. I only need uh, offensive guys to be average defensively. That's all I request. You know, you don't you just have to be average because your pure element stands out. But his off the puck and his defensive awareness has not been anywhere close to good enough for me, which opens up the cabinet for or opens up the opportunity for other guys to skate right through it. And, and you know, like Demidov at three, he's injured right now. He's a really good player playing in the KHL. Uh, Bill Steen's his agent, um, but he's only got one more year left on his contract at SCA. Um, those are kind of the guys at the top. But out west, like Berkeley Catton in Spokane, he plays more of a complete game. Um, I would say he leans shooter more than playmaker, but he plays like his hair's on fire. There's there's going to be a lot, compared to other drafts, there's going to be a lot more movement in the top 15 this year than than other years. And it's going to be more unpredictable than ever, I think. Um, not than ever, than in the last several years. Uh, you know, there's some really good defensemen. Dickinson in London, left shot off at Michigan State. Left shot, right shot, but both guys are huge, you know, big bodies. Um I don't know. It's it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. There's a really cool player for our Western Hockey League listeners in uh, in Medicine Hat. I know Sammy really likes them. I like him a lot too. Caden Lindstrom's playing at Medicine Hat. He's a little bit of a throwback. Like I would call him a, a mid-range power guy. They list him at six three. I thought he was a little bit taller than that. So, but I'll go with six three for now. I think he's six four, but whatever. Two hundred five pounds. Um, combination of size, skill. You know, he can he can push the play. Uh, pretty well off the rush, but more importantly, when he gets it in the offensive zone with his reach and his length, and the fact that he's an imposing figure and wants to take the pill to the net, like that's a that's kind of a throwback. I really like those guys, and he's a good name to keep an eye on. Uh, I always encourage fans out here in Calgary to get out to at least a couple WHL games. Go see the Hitman as always, and uh, this year's edition of the Hitman's been fun, but also. Uh, as we look ahead to this draft class, uh, Jason, there's a ton of great WHL talent. You mentioned Lindstrom in Medicine Hat as guys that come through. Ryder Ritchie and Prince Albert's another guy that Sammy likes quite a bit. Uh, you can get a couple of these years. There's always going to be. There's, it's always fun when Connor Bedard comes through and and packs out the dome in his last WHL run through. But this year specifically, won't be hard if you're a fan here in Calgary to come out to a game and more than likely you're going to be catching a, a future high-end draft pick coming up in this year's draft class. Oh, that's absolutely true. Like, you know, Ryder Ritchie, you know, reigning uh, WHL Rookie of the Year there in, uh, in Prince Albert. 
I mean, there, there's uh, the Howe kid uh, playing in Regina. He, ra- he ran shotgun last year with Connor Bedard. Um, the WHL, just so, so our listeners are aware, out of the three Canadian Hockey League leagues this year, it's it's got the, the most depth out of all three of them. So it's um, it goes in waves, as, as you know, like it's unpredictable. But yeah. um, for now, the, 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 the crops coming through the WHL, the higher-end guys, I think that this draft leans uh, Russians, Finns, and uh, players out of the WHL. Uh, the U.S. National Team Development Program has been a juggernaut for several years, but for me, they've only got a couple of guys that look to be first-rounders this year, where the dub is going to have potentially you know, four or five guys in the first round. So that, that puts it in perspective. Jason, excellent stuff as always. Really love the insight when you come on. I uh, appreciate you taking some time out of your day to join us uh, I highly recommend anybody check out some of your latest. You got a great piece for Habs fans on Yuri Slavkovsky and his development in Montreal as well for people to check out. Uh, thank you again for hopping on today, pal. Really appreciate it. Anytime, Logan. Enjoy the weekend, pal. Uh, talk to you soon. Talk soon. Jason Bukula joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Sportsnet and sportsnet.ca writer. Uh, a ton up at sportsnet.ca. Jason's just killing it with the content uh, for hockey fans right now. You want to look at top draft picks? Go ahead. You want to take a look at uh, a scout's perspective on Calgary Flames pending UFAs? Go for it. Uh, you want to catch up on how Uri Slavkovsky is developing in his second season? All of it up at sportsnet.ca. And, of course, uh, joining us down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline on this Friday as we wrap things up from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. A thank you to Jason for joining us. Thank you to Matt Marchese for talking to NFL with us. If you missed it in hour one, went through all things Calgary Flames following their win against the Vancouver Canucks. Heard from uh, Rasmus Anderson and Mackenzie Weger following practice on Friday at the Scotiabank Saddledome as the Flames get set to take on the New York Islanders Saturday. Five o'clock start, remember. Four o'clock warm-up with Pat Steinberg. He'll take you all the way up until puck drop with Derek and Megan right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. We will talk to you again on Monday. We'll break down what we saw from the Flames and the New York Islanders. Uh, until then, thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Matt and Jason for joining us, and thanks to my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor. And an extra shout out uh, to Taylor Dingman for showing up, uh, feeling a little bit under the weather, but still here giving us a hand uh, as we head into the weekend. Really appreciate her extra work on this Friday here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.